Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. Where's that from? Love Actually, yes, I'm not quite Hugh Grant, uh, but Love Actually was on uh, the TV again over Christmas, and whether you watched it or not, uh, I think we all can understand that we love to talk about love, don't we? Uh, from uh, song lyrics to rom-coms to royal wedding sermons, we love to talk about love. Uh, and we talk about it in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I love apple crumble. I also love Catherine, my wife. I say that I love them both, yet how I feel about them, uh, well, that, they're two very different things. I'll let you guess which way it goes. Uh, love is a strange thing, isn't it? It's a weird thing. And, and so as Christians, or as anyone, we need to ask, well, what does it mean when we say, or when the Bible says, Jesus loves you? What does that mean? Is that a, an apple crumble kind of love? Or is that something else? What does it mean when the Bible says that Christians should love others, love each other? Is that a love actually kind of love? Or, or is that something else? What do we mean when we talk about love? Oh, the answer, I think, comes in our chapter this morning, in John chapter 13. So uh, do look back there and just look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 says this, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If you've been following with us uh, in our series in John, we've arrived now at the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And in these next few chapters that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, uh, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what it means to be one of his followers, what it means to believe in him, uh, to receive life in him, what it means to follow him even after he's left them. That's what he's doing, and, and he begins by doing something that is, frankly, a bit weird. Uh, we've just had it demonstrated up the front by John for us, haven't we? Jesus begins by washing his disciples' feet. As John said, the reason that is such an odd thing for Jesus to be doing is that it's a lowly job. It's the kind of job that only a slave would do. And so, as the disciples' reaction shows us in the passage, it's a very odd thing for Jesus to be doing for them. But there's more than just unusual social etiquette going on. You see, in washing the disciples' feet, Jesus is teaching them. 
He's giving them this visual demonstration, a picture of what he's come to do, what he's explaining to them in this next section. And he shows them, verse 1, how he will love them to the end. And so I think we can learn two big lessons from the foot washing this morning, two things about what it means to be loved by Jesus and then what it means to love like Jesus. First, we're loved by Jesus as we're served by Jesus. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. I wonder what, you, what would you do if you won the lottery? If you knew that you had millions and millions of pounds, enough money to buy or do anything that you wanted this year, what, what would you do with all of that? I hear John is saying that, that God the Father has given Jesus everything. He's given him all power, all authority. Everything in, in existence belongs to Jesus. What Jesus has makes winning the lottery look like that 50p that you used to get sellotaped into your birthday card from your grandma. Jesus has an incomparable amount to all that we can imagine. And, and what does he choose to do with all that power, all that authority? Verse 5, he stoops down and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. He does the filthy degrading, dirty job that, that only a slave would do. And so in verse 6, Peter understandably is horrified, isn't he? He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous, Jesus. You're crazy. You've you spent the last three years convincing us that you are none other than God himself. That you are the creator, the ruler of the universe. You're the one that deserves our praise, our worship. And, and now you're saying that you want to wash my feet? No way. I, I don't think so, Jesus. You see, Peter doesn't get it, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't understand Yes, he's come to see and believe that Jesus is God. But at this point, he doesn't understand what kind of God Jesus is. He doesn't understand that Jesus is the God who comes to serve. And so Jesus says to him in verse 7, Peter, you don't get it. You don't understand, but, but one day you will. One day soon, Peter... You'll get what's going on here. In fact, you'll understand sooner than you think. Because in less than 24 hours' time, you're going to watch Peter as something far worse, far more degrading happens to me. Peter, you'll watch as I'm whipped and stripped naked. You'll see me beaten and ridiculed. Peter, you'll see me, the king of kings, given a crown of thorns and then nailed to a wooden cross. Peter, you will watch 
as I'm executed in the w- only the way that is fit for the worst of criminals. You'll see those things, and then, Peter, you'll begin to understand what is going on here. You'll begin to understand what I'm doing now. You'll begin to understand that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is shocked, he's horrified uh, by Jesus washing some smelly feet. But Jesus says that is nothing compared to what is about to happen. And so I wonder, have you ever been shocked by Jesus? Have you ever been shocked by what Jesus does? Maybe, like me, you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been through all the Sunday schools and youth groups there are in existence. You've been coming every Sunday for as long as you can remember. And so you've heard about the cross over and over and over again. And so it just has become, well, a bit boring. You hear about Jesus on the cross and you think, yeah, that's Jesus. That, that's just what he does, isn't it? There's nothing new. There's nothing special, nothing shocking. I've known that since I was a child. Well, if that's you, I hope that as you look at Peter's reaction to Jesus simply washing some feet, as you see his horror at the idea of God behaving like a slave, I hope you can begin to see how shocking the cross really is. Peter still doesn't really get it, and so he pipes up again in verse 8. No, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. You can imagine, can't you? He, he sees Jesus going from disciple to disciple around the table, washing their smelly, dirty feet, and it all just gets a bit much for him. He's annoyed that the others are even letting Jesus do this, letting Jesus stoop so low. And so he blurts out, no, Jesus, no, no, you're not coming anywhere near me. You're not coming near me. You're not washing my feet. It's not happening, Jesus. But then look at Jesus' reply in verse 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See the key word there? Unless, Jesus says, unless you're washed, you can have nothing to do with me. Clearly, Jesus isn't overly concerned about personal hygiene. He's not just going to be friends with people who have clean feet. No, the foot washing points to something deeper, doesn't it? Something more serious than just clean feet. Because the Bible says that that in reality, we're not just dirty on the outside. No, no, we're dirty on the inside. It says that every good thing that we do is stained, tainted by, uh, by sin. It's stained because all of our actions, everything that we think and feel and do, it comes from a, a rotten heart. A heart that, if we're honest, we know is filled with selfishness and pride. A heart full of bitterness and envy towards other people. A heart that, in the end, rejects the God that's made us. And so the Bible says we're sinful. It uses the word dirty, unclean, inside and out. And when people hear that, they 
they tend to react in one of two ways. Some people, lots of people, just deny it. They deny that sin even exists. They, they deny there's really any such thing as right and wrong. And so they just carry on living life as they choose to. Uh, they do what pleases them. Lots of people deny it, but I don't think that's so much our problem. Our problem is that we don't deny uh, that we're dirty, we just try to deal with it. Uh, we don't mind admitting, admitting that we're dirty. We just don't like the idea of somebody else having to deal with our mess. It's a little bit like when a, a friend or relative comes to your house and within five minutes of being there, they, they start cleaning your kitchen. Uh, you know, don't you, that, that your kitchen's a bit of a mess. You know that the oven could do with a bit of a scrub. But it's embarrassing if someone else comes into your home and starts doing it for you. We get a bit affronted and think, that, that's my mess. It's my job uh, to go and deal with it. Maybe you're one of those people that does the cleaning in someone else's home. Uh, but, but if you're like me, then, then you get upset that someone else is tidying up your mess. And the same is true when it comes to our sin. We acknowledge, yes, I'm a mess, yes, I'm dirty, but, but I'd much rather try and clean myself up than let someone else, someone like Jesus, do anything about it. And so we do things that we think will help. We make sure that we have a really excellent quiet time every morning. We go to church twice on a Sunday. We learn all the Bible answers so we're ready for life group. And we keep all the Bible rules, especially when we're in front of others. We do those things, all good things, but, but all in an attempt really to, to scrub away the dirt. To clean ourselves up for God and for other people. But the Bible says the reality is whether, whether we deny it or, or try to deal with it ourselves, none of those things work. No, we're all dirty. We're all sinful to the core, and there's nothing that we can do to sort it out. And the worst thing of all is that that dirt, that sin, that is what separates us from a perfect God. It's if... If it's not dealt with, then Jesus says in verse 8, doesn't he, we can have no part with him. No part with God. Our sin, our dirt, it will separate us from God forever. So you see, the foot washing shows us that the cross is essential. We are dirty and we need to be made clean. But more than that, it shows us that the cross is sufficient. Peter gets the point kind of in, in verse 9, and so he, he enthusiastically says, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter says, all right, I, I, Jesus, I, I get it. If that's the case, then, then wash me all over. Wash me completely. To which Jesus says in verse 10, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean. In other words, Jesus says we don't, we, we don't have to go to him for repeated washing. No, no, the day that we recognize our sin, the day we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, is the day we are completely cleansed, 
completely forgiven. He says our whole body is clean. And the reason he can say that to Peter and to us is that because on the cross, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the the pure, clean Son of God, did the most incredible thing. On the cross, Jesus took all of our filth, all of our dirt, all of our uncleanliness for, for rejecting God, all of our sin, and he was punished for it. He took the full anger of God, not for anything that he had done, but for all the dirt of what we have done. And in exchange, he offers us his life. He, he gives us his perfection. So that when God looks at us, he sees a spotless, sinless, perfectly clean life. A life with no filth, no dirt, no sin to separate us from God. And so he can welcome us into his love. We can have a part with him, a relationship with him. And so you see, Jesus serves us by dying for us. He says, I've come to die so that you can be washed, so that your whole body can be clean. And the amazing thing is that he's saying this to Peter. Peter, who Jesus knows in a few hours' time, will completely disown him. Peter, his friend, who will abandon him in his hour of need. Jesus is speaking to Peter, knowing that he will let him down that very day. Uh, Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you know that you've let Jesus down. If you think back over the last week or month or year, you think, well, maybe I've let Jesus down too many times. Maybe this time I've gone too far. So many Christians carry around the burden of their past sins. Sins they've repented of, things they have given to Jesus, they've trusted Jesus with, but they don't really believe that God has completely forgiven them. I think if God really knew what I was like, if he really knew what I'd done, well then he would have no time for me, no part with me. If that's you, then Jesus says, no, no, I know what you're like. I know what you've done. I know what you will do. Jesus knows what we're like, and yet he still loves us. He still chooses to wash us. Jesus loves us and has died for us so that we can be washed completely. And so it isn't as though we flick from being a Christian to a non-Christian depending on how well our week has been, how good we've done this week, or or bad. So sometimes I think we think, oh, it's been a bad week. I've mucked up more than usual. And so I come to church feeling like I'm somehow outside of God's love. What I need to do uh, this Sunday morning is uh, really earnestly recommit myself to Jesus. 
That way I can come back into God's love. I can be back to being a Christian again. But again, Jesus says no. No, if you've trusted in him, if you've trusted in his death on the cross, you are completely forgiven. You're clean. That's your status before God. And that doesn't change. He says you can be confident in the cross. But that doesn't mean that you should be complacent. You see, yes, we are clean, but we still sin every day. Verse 10 says that we still get dirty feet. And so we still need to keep coming to Jesus in daily repentance and faith, not to become a Christian all over again, but to remember that we are always dependent upon Jesus' cleansing work at the cross. There is never a day when we don't need him. That is why we come back to him. The cross is essential. We're dirty and need to be made clean. The cross is sufficient. Jesus and Jesus alone makes us clean. And then we see that the cross is also deliberate. Verse 10 contains a bit of a shock, doesn't it? Look at verse 10 with me. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Judas's betrayal is woven through this section, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed that in the reading. It comes first up in verse 2, and then in verse 11, and then in detail in verses 18 to the end, to verse 30. It's woven throughout. And the reason that Jesus does that is to help the disciples and us to see that his death is deliberate. Just look across at verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Jesus tells the disciples what is about to happen from his betrayal to his death so that when it happens, they will believe. They'll believe that this is all part of Jesus' deliberate plan. They'll believe that the cross, as shameful and horrific as it is, is the way that Jesus will cleanse his disciples. And that means as we, as we work through these next chapters of John this term, as we head towards the cross, we need to remember that all of this, every single moment of it, is part of the plan. It is under God's control. Jesus is deliberate in everything that he does. This is how he will love his people to the end. He says, I've told you this before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am, that I'm the God who comes to serve you, the God who's come to die, so that you could be made clean. You see, the foot washing helps us to understand what it means to be loved by Jesus. But it also helps us to see what it means to love like Jesus. 
And that's our second point this morning. We must serve like Jesus. Look back at verse 12 with me. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. What does the Bible mean when it says that we ought to love each other? The answer is clear, isn't it, in John 13? We're to love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus says we're to love each other with a sacrificial, serving kind of love. I think that's one of those things that is relatively easy for us to understand, but but much harder for us to do, isn't it? And because it's hard for us to do, if you're anything like me, we, we come up with excuses. We come up with reasons why we really can't love like this. And so we say things like, well, you know, I would serve. I would love like this. I, I just don't have time at the moment. My life is so busy, so hectic, I really just don't have the space, the time for this sort of thing. But what does John 13 show us? It shows us that despite the fact that Jesus was hours from his own death, despite the fact that he had less than a day left on earth, he took the time to serve his disciples He took the time to stoop down and wash their feet. And so we need to ask ourselves, is my time more important than Jesus's? Is my agenda, my plans, my schedule more important than Jesus's? A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus made time to serve. Or maybe we say, okay, I'll make time, but but I'll only serve some people, not others. I'm not helping them. They never help me. In fact, they do the opposite. They're they're really hard work. But then again, remember who Jesus is serving here. Peter, the one who will disown him. And Judas, the one who will betray him. Jesus knows exactly what these people are like, and yet he still chooses to wash their feet. Jesus serves people despite who they are. And so are we really going to be picky about who we choose to love and serve? Or maybe we say, well, I'll do some jobs. I'll do some things, just not that one. That's not my job. It's not my gift, so I can't be expected to do that. We might even think to ourselves, I'm above that. But then remember exactly who is washing the disciples' feet. Verse 3 says, Jesus is the one who has all authority from God. 
He is the King of kings. God himself. And so if Jesus is willing to lower himself to the position of a slave, are we really going to say that some jobs are beneath us? Or not our problem? You see, when the Bible says Jesus loves you, it is no small thing. It's not a rom-com or apple crumble kind of love. No, it's a sacrificial serving kind of love. A love that has given up everything so that you could be made clean. So that you could have a part with him forever. That's how much Jesus loves you. And he says, if you know that love, well then go and show that same love to others. Go and serve others in the same way. It's an easy thing to understand, but a very hard thing to do. But Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we see your love displayed. A love for people like us, sinful, dirty, unclean, people who deserve nothing but your anger and your punishment. Father, what amazing love that Jesus would wash us. Father, we pray that we would have confidence in the cross, confidence in what Jesus has done for us, who he's made us to be. And out of that confidence, Father, would we serve each other? Would we love like Christ loves? For his glory we pray. Amen.